What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Up Before You podcast with me, Connor Warman. This episode of the Up Before You podcast is brought to you by our friends and fellow CrossFitters at Stono Creek Apothecary. If you're into your health, and especially if you're into your fitness, you've been hearing a lot about CBD lately. From inflammation and pain relief to improved sleep, lower anxiety, and faster recovery times, CBD is toted as the biggest wellness breakthrough of the last several years, and increasingly so. Nowadays, you can find CBD in literally everything, from gummies to lattes. You can buy it at the doctor's office, the local grocery, and even the corner gas station. But all this hype can leave people scratching their heads. Is CBD for real? And which brand can I trust? At Sono Creek, you can be sure that all of the CBD products are made to the highest of standards from seed to shelf. This means everything is manufactured in their FDA-registered laboratory located near the Stono River on Johns Island, South Carolina. That's right, folks. It's a real place, and it's not your neighbor's kitchen. All the CBD is CO2 extracted from hemp grown in the U.S. of A. on sustainable, pesticide-free farms. Each finished batch is third-party tested for potency, purity, and stability. And all the products are fully labeled and disclose every single ingredient that goes into them. If you haven't tried Sono Creek yet, you can now get 10% off your first order when you use code up before you on their website, scapothecary.com. That's S-C-A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y.com, code up before you. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so that you can be the first to learn about the launch of the new topicals line, including recovery baths, body oils, solves, and more. And guys, with concert and game season just around the corner, the timing is perfect for those of you listening who want to plan your spring and summer events. We've teamed up with Ticket Weirdo to make buying tickets this season super affordable. Ticket Weirdo is the only ticket site that doesn't charge you hidden service fees and also donates a portion of your purchase to charity. Check them out by simply going to TicketWeirdo.com and enter promo code UBY. That's UBY during checkout to save an extra 10% off unlimited ticket purchases throughout the year. And to keep it weird this spring and summer. Now guys, if you have a moment, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave a 5-star rating and a review. It only takes a second and is a great way to support the show, and the feedback means a lot to me. If you like this episode of the podcast, please share with family and friends and share via social media and make sure to tag up before you. And lastly, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit upbeforeyou.com to keep up to date with all the latest episodes, news, and updates surrounding the show. Okay, my guest today is Kate Gordon. Kate is a CrossFit athlete from New Zealand who has competed on a team at the Games twice in 2015 and 2019. Kate is also a member of the CrossFit seminar staff and runs an Instagram page called CrossFitter with Signs, so make sure to go check that out if you haven't already. On this episode, we dive into how Kate got into CrossFit, her journey to coaching, how she became a part of the seminar staff, competing at the CrossFit Games, and then she answers some questions from her followers. It was truly a pleasure having the opportunity to talk to Kate, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And now, with all that being said, let's get on with episode 111 of this show. Can you tell me a little bit about your Instagram page, CrossFitter with Sign, and where that came about? (laughs) It was kind of just a joke to begin with. It was just something that I was like, you know what, it's a good handle, so I'll take it and use it and just kind of roll with it. And also, it's a really great way to just say things that I probably don't normally say on social media or even like coaching as a CrossFit coach. So um, yeah, it was definitely something that was a joke that obviously people people um, seem to connect with. So um yeah, it's been kind of just a fun thing. It's a little side thing. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I didn't even know about it. And then one of my friends at the gym showed me. 
That's like, really good. That's funny. So, but yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so you mentioned you grew up in New Zealand. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself growing up and what it was like growing up there? Um, yeah, so I'm from Auckland in New Zealand, and um, I I don't know. It's really it's a funny thing to be like, what is it like growing up in New Zealand? It's like growing <laughs> up anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. There's nothing like there's nothing. I don't know. I what, ask me something uh, specific about growing up in New Zealand. <laughs> what, something like what would you about my childhood like, or like what what's what's the climate like in New Zealand? I have no idea. Do you have seasons? Um, it's pretty mild, especially in Auckland where I am. Auckland is is a city, so Auckland is like Auckland is very much like a typical city. It's not a massive city, like it's not big like some of the U.S. cities or even some of the Australian cities, but it's um, just your standard kind of like big smoke, and it's the biggest city in New Zealand. Um, it's an expensive city as well, getting really expensive, and uh, climate is like it's pretty mild. Like it'll get in in Fahrenheit. It will be probably like 80s in summer and then in winter, um, God, in winter, I'm trying to think of in Fahrenheit. In Celsius, it'll be like, it'll get under 10 degrees occasionally. And in Celsius, I, I think that must be like in the, in the 60s, 50s, 60s maybe. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, I had some friends who like studied abroad there. And they said it was like a really, really beautiful place to go. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, especially like and I, like I said, Auckland's just another city. Like Auckland, it's a cool city, but it's not like it's anything particularly special. But as soon as you get outside of Auckland and you get outside of the city and you travel or you go north or you go south, like the South Island is amazing. That's when you see like the really beautiful stuff, and wow. and that's where like you know it's like all the Lord of the Rings stuff is filmed mm-hmm. in all those weird, crazy little towns. So I know rugby is big there. What sports did you play growing up? Um, not rugby. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really play a lot of sports. I'm not a sports person. I did a little bit of um, like everything as a kid. I was really into like skiing, obviously, um, mountain skiing in winter. And then in summer, like I did a bit of wakeboarding. And then I did a couple of years of like judo, a couple of years of gymnastics. And then I was a dancer. Like that's what I did all through high school. Now, is rugby just big for guys, or do a lot of girls play rugby, too? Oh, there's a lot of girls playing rugby. Really? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's really big. Are there, Same like, separate leagues? Yeah. Sorry? Are there, like, separate leagues, like, guys and girls, or do they play together? Oh, no, it's separate. <laughs> yeah. I just, because I knew it was, like, really, it's really big over there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's our national sport. It's, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, it's, I, I guess it would be like equivalent to you guys as American football, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So then on a map, is New Zealand, like, is it by Australia? Yes. So when you see Australia on a map, New Zealand is to the right and south a little bit. And obviously you're here, you're in Colorado for vacation. Where do people from New Zealand go for vacation? Oh, everywhere. Like, if you've ever been overseas or even traveled around America, like, you always bump into New Zealanders. New Zealanders and Australians. Really? <laughs> they travel, like, it's in our DNA to travel just because we're just such a little isolated place so far away. Um, so, yeah, all my life I've always traveled. And then it's a really big part of your, um, I guess it's a, to a degree like a rite of passage when you leave high school or in your late teens, early 20s to go and travel and go overseas and spend time overseas. It's just, huh. it's like 
people, most people in New Zealand have passports from child, like from the day they're born. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who didn't have a passport as a baby. Huh. But I remember being in America and meeting a lot of people that were like in their twenties that they had never had a passport and were about to go overseas and had to go and get passports for the first time. And I was like, "What do you mean you don't have a passport? <laughs> you need that all the time." But like to get anywhere in New Zealand, you have to go overseas. Like even to get to Australia, it's overseas. So we travel internationally all the time. Now, what do people in New Zealand think about America and people from America? Uh, we love Americans. <laughs> we love people from America. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely uh, like a stereotype of like different cultures around the world. And like we have the same thing for Australians. But um, like, I mean, I think New Zealand is a known for being pretty friendly and pretty like welcoming. And uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like if like no matter where you're from, like we're, we love you guys. <laughs> huh. That's good. Yeah, I think like especially if you come to New Zealand, like you're always you, like people are always like, ah, oh, it's so friendly. And even like when I go to Australia and come back to New Zealand, I'm like, oh, New Zealanders are so much nicer than Australians. <laughs> I'm going to get shit for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, you mentioned to me that you had, you tore your ACL, which led you to rehab, which led you to CrossFit. Can you kind of tell me that story and how that happened? Yeah. I tore my ACL skiing actually when I was like, uh, I think I was 18 or 19. Um, tore my ACL on the mountain and then, the the long story of that is you ha- I had it reconstructed and um, spent a lot of time with a personal trainer just trying to build some strength and that kind of just got me into being in a gym and into fitness and and just into doing that stuff. Um, eventually, I think just from being excited about it and being and enjoying just training at the gym for no real I had no real purpose or reason I just enjoyed it and I liked getting stronger and I liked being fit and I liked doing exercise. Um, and I was doing a lot of like, uh, group fitness classes at the time, like just, uh, and you might've heard of like Les Mills, like body attack or body combat. Like mm-hmm. that was my jam. That was my thing. Um, I love those classes. And eventually I just found a, uh, like a group on for CrossFit that was local to me and I signed up for a month and then that was, that was the end of it. So yeah, in a kind of long windy way, getting, having to be in the gym to rehab the ACL thing got me really excited about fitness and then ultimately it, it's you know it all parts lead to CrossFit at some point if you're excited mm-hmm. about training so yeah so, so you mentioned before that like you didn't really play a lot of sports but you were like doing group fitness classes so you were, you were still into fitness then yeah yeah I was definitely definitely coming out of like university I just like that was I I think just being in the gym environment and like I'd been kind of made comfortable and made confident by having a personal trainer and, and kind of doing that one-on-one thing. And then I really liked the classes and I had a group of friends that used to do the classes and that was always fun. I never really did much training on my own. Like I never really liked that. So classes were, I was really attracted to classes. So the fact that CrossFit was like Mm -hmm. a class style thing was like very attractive to me, Mm -hmm. very motivating. Yeah, so then I guess my next question was kind of like, what about what exactly about CrossFit made it different from everything else? Um, you know, the thing that I always say got me like locked in was that I'd been going to this gym and doing the group fitness classes at like a Globo gym. It was the local Les Mills, and I'd been going there since I was like, I I spent time in Crash there because my parents had gone there every single mm-hmm. you know day. I'd gone there and spent time in the childcare. I'd I'd done the classes for multiple years. I knew the owners of the gym, like I knew people, but I would walk into that gym and no one knew my name. 
like no one knew who I was. I, I saw the instructors every time I used to go to the same classes. I loved the same coaches or the same instructors that ran them and none of them knew me. And the second session that I did at CrossFit, I walked in the door and people were like, oh, hey, Kate, you're back. Nice to see you. And I was just like, oh, what is this? <laughs> and that was like one of my main memories, that. And then also I was finishing a workout and I was the last person to finish. And someone got down on the ground and did ad mat sit-ups with me to finish the workout. And everyone was like, you know, supporting me through. And it was just like, it was like, this so such a foreign thing to have like people who were excited to have you there and it was a community and it was super social and I was like I'd been wanting that from my global gym and hadn't had it and I'd been there for years so it was amazing that in two sessions I had that at my CrossFit gym Mm -hmm. so that was like that really sucked me in big time now backing up a little bit did you go to college or university as you call it I don't know why everybody everybody from everywhere else but America calls college university and it's so funny yeah so college <laughs> in New Zealand would be high school really so, yeah so and I don't know we don't really use the term college but yeah uh-huh. college would be considered a high school that's um, really funny <laughs> which is why like college you say like college university and it's like yeah oh, that seems weird but yeah university okay. I don't know why yeah. <laughs> it must be an English thing it really. sounds so formal yeah, right. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I started university in Dunedin, which is in the South Island of New Zealand at a university called the University of Otago. And uh, I did two years there. And then I did an exchange to UC Irvine in California, which is in Orange County. And I was only going to do one submit, one quarter. Um, so it was only going to be a few months. And then I really loved it. So I just basically tried to see if I could stay on and continue the exchange to see if my credits and my classes would cross over and I could continue with my study and I could so I ended up finishing university in California. So is that a popular thing in New Zealand to go to school overseas? Yeah and I think it's it's something that's not only popular in New Zealand Mm -hmm. I think it's a it's a it's a program that most universities and colleges have but um, I just don't think enough people take advantage of it like for me to be able to essentially travel and do my OE, like they call it an OE in New Zealand, it's your overseas Mm -hmm. experience. For me to be able to travel, do my OE while studying was like the greatest thing Mm -hmm. ever because a lot of people will not do their OE because they want to knuckle down and get into university and get their degree, which is like obviously important, but it also is such a bummer to throw away this this window of time in between high school and being, you know, mm-hmm. to a degree an adult where you can explore and travel and just go and do crazy stuff with your life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the travel program was amazing in Otago and I was super stoked that I was able to do it. Uh-huh. And what did you study in school? Uh, my degree is actually in film. I have a major in film with a minor in performing arts. So what made you want I to was, do that? I was originally studying dance and uh, the because I was at uh, Otago, you couldn't major in dance. You could minor in it, though. So originally, my degree was a major in performing arts with a minor in dance. And the dance is kind of my thing. Like, that was my focus. That was what I wanted to do. Um, but when I sent my ACL and I couldn't dance, I switched it around um, to do a major in film and then somehow got a minor in performing arts. I hadn't planned it, but it just like when I got my degree, they were like, and you have a minor in performing arts. And I was like, okay, sweet. Thanks guys. <laughs> That's so interesting. How do you make the jump from dance to film? Well, it was something that I always loved and I'd been studying it through some of my extracurricular like credits in university. So I'd been taking a lot of the core 
papers um, and classes throughout my first couple of years of uni. So what had happened is I'd actually covered all the, like the, um, what did they call them? Like it was like the core curriculum had already been covered in my first couple of years. Okay. So I was able to flip my degree really quickly. So it, it was partially because I loved film and I'd been doing the classes anyway. And partially because it was a really easy way to flip my degree and, and still be able to partake in classes because I couldn't do the, I couldn't do the dance classes. And also when I was at UC Irvine, there were a lot of really amazing film papers. So, but I studied like, because it was a bachelor of arts, like it's a degree, it was a BA it's such a broad kind of degree. Like you have an opportunity to take classes in a lot of different subjects. So I took classes that were not just in film. I took classes in songwriting. I took classes in criminology. I took classes in like uh, the performing arts stuff. Like I did everything and anything. So I just kind of like did what I loved and did what I enjoyed and did what I was interested in. And that's kind of guided me my whole life. That's pretty cool. So you like learn like how to make movies. Like what, what exactly do you learn about? It was more theoretical stuff. It was more dairy. If I wanted to specialize in some kind of, um, I guess, some kind of a, not a trade, but in in some kind of a, um, something that I would use in like the film industry, I'd probably go back and specialize in something or have to go and do some kind of internship because it was all film history stuff for the most part. I did one paper in screenwriting. And then so you, if anything, I probably could have done screenwriting. <laughs> and then you went to a good, like, was UC Irvine, is that because of where it is in California, like close to LA and close to Hollywood and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to be in California and um, they'd shut down the exchange program for UCLA that year. So I was like, oh, I'll just pick something that's like physically close to LA. Like mm. it kind of made sense to me. Um, and it was also a school that I would probably get in on my first choice. There are a lot of big schools that you could apply to exchange, do an exchange through, but it was just like the chance of getting in was just lower. So I kind of was like, you know what, I'll just go somewhere where I can plan on where I want to be. And I really wanted to be in California. So, um, yeah. Yeah. LA is ridiculous. Traffic and everything in LA is ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) So then when did you, when did you graduate? Um, Oh God, 2012. Okay. So this was, this was right around the time when you started CrossFit then, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, then I must have graduated earlier then, maybe 2011, because <laughs> I'd already graduated when I started CrossFit. Yeah, I, it must have been a year before. I started CrossFit end of 2011, and I'd been home for about six months, so yeah. So then I take it you didn't go and do anything in film? No, no, <laughs> no. And it's funny, I, I did do a little bit of like performance and like theater and acting and a little dance, but uh, once I decided to go back to the U.S., um, I was just going to continue traveling and I'd started crossfitting and I wasn't planning on doing anything with crossfit either. Like I had no plans. That was the thing. <laughs> it wasn't like I was like, I'm not going to do anything with film or I'm going to do something with crossfit. It was just like, I had no plans apart from, I wanted to continue to travel. I wanted to go back to California and I had all my friends and everything there. And I just really wanted to be there. So I got hooked up with an internship in web marketing in Hollywood and I went over there and started that and did six weeks of that and then um, at that point I'd gotten my L1 and I had some experience working the front desk of a gym it was just a regular like recreation center and so when a CrossFit affiliate had opened up down the road from where I was living in LA I immediately was like hey I can I can help you guys let me help you let me do something and they gave me a job on the front desk so um that was how I got into like working in a CrossFit gym and I hated the internship that I was doing so I immediately was (laughs) like I'm out I'm gonna go do this CrossFit thing and then it just snowballed from there so going back what made you want to get into the coaching in the first place 
Um, do you know what? I actually didn't have a particular drive to be a trainer. Like I wasn't like, Oh, I love this CrossFit thing. I'm going to be a coach. Mm -hmm. I just loved CrossFit and I wanted to learn more. So I went and did the L1 when a buddy of mine pulled out and I swapped places with him. And, um, my parents were like, you know what? You probably shouldn't go and spend like a thousand us dollars. You're about to move back to America. Like you need all the money you can get. You're broke. (laughs) Like, graduate like you need money and I I initially was like oh yeah that's that would be smart and then I went back and I was like no I really love this thing I, I just want to do this course so um I just got it and I figured that maybe if I needed work it would be good backup as well like if I was like hey if I if I didn't have a job after the internship then I could potentially start coaching CrossFit and and that might be a source of money but yeah there was no real plans to coach I never was like ah oh, I would love to coach this thing I, I just really liked CrossFit and so I just wanted to learn more and when you went to your L1, who was running your L1? Um, well, it was in it was in New Zealand. So oh. I did my L1 in New Zealand before um, before I moved back to LA. So it was like all of the Aussie crew, but Boz was there as well. Okay. Adrian Bosman was there. He was living in Australia at the time. And then it was uh, Stacy, Lily, Doug, Danny, and yeah, I think that was it. So it was like, if you know the Aussie crew in terms of the seminar stuff, anyone who's done the L1 in Australia, they know all those guys. (laughs) You also got into a little competing um, somewhere in there in 2015. I think you went to the games on a team. When did you kind of like decide like you liked CrossFit, but you wanted to get a little competitive and you wanted to try and make a push for the games? Yeah, I don't think if I don't think I ever decided I was competitive. (laughs) I think other people that were coaching me decided I was competitive. (laughs) Yeah. CrossFit and I was already strong like I was immediately the strong girl like um and also like when I started CrossFit in 2011 to be the strong girl like people were like whoa mm-hmm. she can lift legs like this is amazing <laughs> um and I picked up a lot of the movements really quickly like I've always just had very good upper body strength so they a lot of people were like oh you have to do the open you have to sign up this is what we're gonna put a team together we're gonna do this thing so right from the beginning I did the open my very first year like I was like you know three or four months into CrossFit and I was like yeah let's do this so um then come 2013 we had a team on regionals in SoCal and then 2015 we had a team qualified for regionals in Australia and then we qualified for the games um and yeah I never I'd never at that point decided to be competitive which was also part of my problem I wasn't Mm -hmm. a great competitor and I wasn't like a great team member I was good in terms of like I balanced the team I was a strong girl we had a girl who was a Cross, uh, who was a gymnast and we had a girl who had like an amazing engine she was a phenomenal like athlete um so we just had a we had a good balance in terms of our girls we had we had a good strong female half and male half the boys were amazing too um <laughs> but yeah i didn't really decide that i wanted to be competitive until probably after the games um so it was just that it had all fallen into place and, and things had worked out really well. We had a good team. We had a good coach. So, um, yeah, it was it was certainly not something that I was like, I'm going to be competitive. It just, again, like the coaching thing, I just really liked it. And I just put time and money and invested myself into the things that I liked. And it just produced results. And do you remember kind of like the moment you decided you wanted to kind of pursue CrossFit full time and be a coach full time? Yeah, I um, I don't know if I had like a... I'm going to do this full time. I certainly had a moment before I applied to be on seminar stuff where one of the trainers that I was working with at the gym in LA um, had come back from doing her L1. She was, she was working as a manager. She was just running the membership stuff and helping us on the front desk. And she came back and was like, man, Kate, you've, 
you've got to be one of those trainers. Like you and those trainers, there's, you've got the same thing. Like you've got that same X factor. And I remember it being like, you know, an amazing, amazing compliment and just being like pretty touched and moved that, that she felt that way. And, um, that was probably a significant moment in my coaching career. I guess at that point I, I was really like, I felt so honored that she thought that about me. And that was when I was like, you know what, like I've been getting really good feedback from my coaching and that was really amazing. And, and the seminar stuff thing would be a really, really cool thing to do. Um, so yeah, that was probably a significant moment, but again, I'd never thought of doing it as full time, especially because at that point in LA, I wasn't permanently there. I was just living there on like a graduate visa, which was like, it wasn't a long visa. Mm. So, um, I didn't really know what I was going to do back in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, again, it was just one of those things that I was like, I just loved what I was doing. So I just kept doing it and making ends meet and, and it just kept snowballing. It sounds like that happens a lot. Things just kind of happen like to you. Be everybody's story, right? Like no one's like, like five years old, like when I grow up, I'm going to be a CrossFit coach. Yeah. <laughs> So then what did the process look like for you of getting onto the seminar staff? So um, I I reckon I had a pretty good start. So I was in America at the time, but I was about to move back to New Zealand. So I knew that I was going to be in a different region, which as far as seminars go, I was like, I, the American staff is like, I knew that they had a big group of staff. I knew they had a lot of trainers. I knew they ran a lot of seminars. So I was like, the likelihood of getting on in America is probably going to be more like more challenging than getting on in the Australia and New Zealand team, um, especially if they don't have any females. So I was like, you know what? I'll when I get back to New Zealand, I'll I'll apply. And a buddy of mine was like, just email them now. Just find out how you apply and find out how to get on and 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 let them know that you're interested. And I was like, all right. So I emailed them, just finding out what's the process. Um, and it was literally like the seminars at CrossFit.com email that it's like, you know, everyone sends their stuff to that email. And they ended up sending me just the information of like, hey, here's the application process, send us a letter, then we'll put you on a weekend on a seminar. So I was like, ah, well, I'll just do it now. So I did the, uh, the cover letter, like the big, like, hey, I want to do this. I love this. I, I want to coach. And um, then they asked me about what weekend I would want to intern on. And um, I basically started my first internship on the at the end of 2013 at OCCF, so Orange County CrossFit um, in California. That was my first internship. So it was like, um, who was on it? Uh, Miranda Aldroyd and my coach was, or my, my um, you, you get assigned to a trainer when you're doing your internships. And it was uh, Josh Everett. And then I was working with a couple of a couple other guys who were um, like OG staff members. So um, like it was like Michelle Moots and uh, who's the other one? I had a couple other guys on there. So it was just like a really cool team. And I just basically uh, first weekend you, you you just shadow, you just watch, you observe, you take notes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like taking your L one again. Like especially if it's been a while, it's like holy crap, it's like you got to yeah. take it all in. And then in that window around there, I did my. Um, which is now the level two, it was the coach's prep course at the time. So I did that in uh, the Valley CrossFit in LA. And um, that was part of like, if I wanted to be on staff, I needed to be L2. Now you have to be L3. Um, And then I did my second, third and fourth internship in Australia and New Zealand because I'd moved back at the time. So my internship was a total of four seminars over about six months. 
Um, it was a process of getting a lot of feedback, a lot of really critical stuff, a lot of really negative stuff, and a lot of like, what the fuck are you doing? This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then me having to like fix it and implement change and, and try and see what they were seeing and, and try and change what I needed to change in order to show them that I had some skill. Um, and also show them that I could be a part of the team. So, um, yeah, it was really stressful six months. It's a lot, especially if you're not used to taking on board feedback, which in terms of negative feedback, I was not used to that at all. <laughs> like, you know, as a, as, as a coach in general, you, you get positive feedback. People don't share their negative feedback with you. So, um, yeah, a lot of feedback, a lot of dialing in my, my skills as a trainer and, and trying to implement change and, and something worked. I did something right and I got invited on staff at the beginning of 2014. It seems like the perfect job for you. You love CrossFit and you love to travel. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> it's a good combo of those things for sure. Yeah. So you're you're still on staff now? Yeah, this is my fifth year. Uh, coming into my sixth year, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what's like? What's the best part? What's the most rewarding part for you of doing these seminars? I mean, all of it. Do you know? Funnily enough, there's actually two sides to it. One part is obviously talking to people at their first level one and it's such a significant part of your CrossFit journey. Like it's such a, like, have you done your level one? Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like you walk away and you're like, my mind has been blown. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like, it's just yeah. like you fall in love with it. It's, it's such a cool thing to go through just two days of like, just learning a little bit more about why we do what we do and just spending time on, you know, squatting and, and deadlifting with a broomstick. It's like, it's just mind boggling. <laughs> and you have so many light bulb moments during that weekend. So it's really amazing to witness that and to even be a part of it and, and be one of the, one of the messengers, I guess, for the CrossFit material that we teach. But then the other part of it is um, it's made me so much better as a trainer. Like it's been such a phenomenal journey to be surrounded by all the other guys on staff. Like the, there are some amazing trainers on staff. Those red shirts are serious. Like they're the real deal. So to be around those guys is really amazing. And to get feedback and to have them help me develop has been one of the biggest things for me as a trainer in terms of getting better and, and learning more and being pushed beyond my limits and, and having to really stretch myself to to keep getting better and keep progressing. Yeah, no, you're totally right. You definitely leave there feeling like like CrossFit. Like, I just want to do CrossFit. I love yeah, CrossFit. Yeah, you're just like, what? <laughs> like, I need to tell somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to go knock on someone's door. <laughs> <laughs> so then going back to the um, comp- competing a little bit. So you went to the games on a team in 2015 and then again in 2019. So you were at you competed in California and Madison, I guess, what was it, what was the difference? Like, what was it like in 2015? And then how was it in 2019? Yeah, that was probably one of my favorite things. I have been a spectator in California. I've been a judge in California as well. And then I was a competitor in California. So like California, the StubHub center was like, it was the games to me. Like that was the place. And, um, the like the athlete village and then the vendor village like when i think of the games i kind of almost still think of california like Mm -hmm. it's just like that place um but going to madison like that was next level not only is it an amazing facility but it's like it becomes a little crossfit town and it was like everyone's staying really close to the stadium all the cafes and all the restaurants are doing crossfit menus like everyone that's riding their bike on the road is a freaking crossfitter like all the gyms are 
full of CrossFitters, all the restaurants, all that, like just everything is CrossFit. Whereas in LA, it was like, as soon as you stepped out of the stub hub, no one gave a shit. Like no one gave a fuck who you were. It was just <laughs> another event. You were just another person in like California. Like we're in LA. It was like, I guess it was like uh, Anaheim kind of area. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, Carson. So it was like kind of the middle of nowhere in terms of LA. Everyone was dispersed. Everyone was staying at different places and shitty little hotels down the road. But Madison was like, it was, it's a small city. It's definitely like a, just a small city. It's beautiful. And it was like CrossFit town and it was awesome. Like it's so, so cool. So I really like the, the fact that it was not just an amazing venue it became an amazing city for the for the whole event which is actually similar to um we had our we used to have our regionals in Wollongong which is a little town south of Sydney in Australia and um they still run the sanctioned event there which is awesome and the whole town it just turns into CrossFitville like all the accommodations sold out it's full of CrossFitters all the cafes are CrossFitters like Mm -hmm. you can't like they sell out of sweet potato fries. Like <laughs> it's like, it's just like CrossFit central. And it was the same feeling in Madison. It was just like it, that was what I really loved. It was just like, it, it felt like this little bubble of CrossFit is. So it was cool. And then when, with all the changes that came in 2019, what did you think about that? Having been around the sport for so long? I like it. I think CrossFit's, it's still growing. It's a young sport. Like mm-hmm. it really is such a young sport and they really push the limits and try different things and change things constantly constantly evolving which is challenging because a lot of people don't like change they feel like if they've got something good why change it you know like it's like if it ain't broke but it's like that's what the sport has done from day one and I think that there are too many people that haven't been in it for long enough to realize that like regionals wasn't always around like regionals is new so when people were like oh there's no more regionals it's like dude we only had it for a few years like (laughs) we we didn't we had sectionals before that and before that we had nothing like (laughs) You know, it's such a new thing. So I find it funny that people get so aggravated when it changes. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not a, it's not an institution. It's like, it's constantly evolving. Um, I think the eliminations were really tough on people this year, but I, I'm like, hell yeah, like there should be eliminations. <laughs> um, I think that's a really exciting way to do it. It made it, it made the first couple of days of the games so exciting. Like the tension in the stadium was next level, like especially for the individuals. I've never experienced such a, like it was just so much excitement and and anxiety at the same time being in the warm-up area and being with the spectators. Like it was just unreal. So that was a really exciting element this year. Um, I'm hoping that what they're going to do is, and I think that this is kind of what I've heard from Dave Castro is that some of the eliminations will be spread out a little bit differently because I definitely felt that like come the last day when they had the top 10, it was like, okay, well that's our top 10. Like it was like, yeah. there wasn't, they were fighting for anymore. It was a little bit of like, they were in and they were like, kind of, it was like a safe bet. It was like, they didn't have to do much. So um, I would be excited to see the eliminations change in order to not end up in that position where it was like, well, we're safe now. Um, which I think might be what's going to happen. Um, it seems like he's going to adjust it as, as they do every year and make it better. Didn't he say something about like guaranteeing three events or something like that this year versus yeah, one like, and done? Like they wouldn't do a cut on event one. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that would be cool. Um, yeah. I think whatever they do, they'll, they'll continue to learn from, you know, the mistakes or, or, or just continue to refine. Like, and, and you know, it's funny. It's like the games is, is a similar culture to the seminars, seminar stuff in the seminars in a sense that um, it's never stagnant. It's never, it's never 
staying the same way for forever. It's constantly changing in, in the sense that they're constantly looking for ways to be better. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly trying to refine the event and in the same way that they're constantly trying to refine the level one. Um, and Dave Castro was like a big part of the level one and the structure that it now has. So um, it's that same feeling in the games. It's, it's, a, it's a small group of people that have been running the game since day one and they're constantly looking for ways to make it better, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of like, it's pretty cool in that way. Like, in, and I think when I, the first year that I volunteered at the games and was judging back in um, 2014, seeing the community that ran the games and realizing that there were just a bunch of CrossFitters, I was like, holy shit, this whole thing is just community run. Like this yeah. massive event is just community run. So um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So for you personally, it seems like like you compete and you like to compete, but your heart and your energy is really more into coaching. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think um, it took me a long time to get serious about competitive for that reason. Because I was like, I'm, I'm not a competitor. Like I'm just... I just, I'm a coach. Like, that's what I do. Like I'm committed to coaching and I put a lot of time and effort into seminars. I was traveling a lot and I was running gyms and it was like, that's my jam. That's what I do. So like, I, I will never be that competitor. Um, and then I had a real mindset stri- switch in about, uh, probably 2000 and end of 2016, beginning of 2017. That was when I was like, you know what? No, I, I want to compete. And so I actually flipped from being so heavily focused on being the trainer to being more focused on myself as a CrossFitter and as an athlete. Mm -hmm. So now it's a little bit more balanced. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the future, do you see yourself continuing to compete? Yeah. I'll compete as long as I can. I love it. It's so much fun. And the thing is, is like whether or not I'm competing, I'd be training anyway because I just love training. Yeah. And that was a big breakthrough for me as a, actually as a competitor, like um, since working with Rob Forte, it was like, you know what? Like we, we compete because we want to be better. Therefore, the process of getting better is really the reward. It's not the competition. And that was like just – it was like yeah. mind-blown. And it was like, oh, my God, I can I can just train because I love to train. And I can just try and get better because I love to get better. And I love that that process. Um, and, and the competitions are fun. And they're really awesome. I'm, I'm so excited to compete at the sanctioned events this year and get an individual invite. That's really huge for me. But so much of my progress has been purely from the enjoyment of the little steps that I've been taking on the day-to-day, like just day-to-day with, with training and with my routine and with, with my mindset work and with all those little things that you do to try and be better. And where are you planning on competing this year? So I'll be at the two Australian or the two, um, yeah, the Australian sanctioned events. I guess it's Pacific region, Pacific region. I don't know. Okay. Um, so there's uh, the Australian CrossFit Championship, which is next m- month. Yeah, we're February now. Holy crap! It's next month. It's gonna be uh, the second weekend of March, maybe the first weekend of March. Then um, there's also the Down Under CrossFit Championship, which is in May, so right around the end of May. So I'll be doing those two. Very cool. And will you? Do you think you'll always stay team, or will you ever make a push for individual? Well, I'm competing at those as individual. Okay. So I think my days competing on team are done. As far as unless someone invited me onto a team, I probably wouldn't be jumping onto a team. Maybe if I didn't qualify individual, I would have gone team this year. Um, but I, I did manage to sneak in on individual. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it, if so, those my, my, the two ways that I would go team is if I were invited on a team again, like last year, or if I didn't qualify as individual. Are you one of those people that feels like you do better on a team, or push like push a little harder, do a little better on a team, or not? Yes really? and no. 
I think I love like team is it's a very different feeling competing with other people because um the pressure is is it's on like it's Mm -hmm. you've got other people relying on you um but as an individual it's the same thing you've got you've got a lot of pressure but it just feels different because you're the only one responsible for your performance you're not responsible for anyone else or you know anything else happening so yeah I feel like to a degree I probably so far have done better with the team but I've also not really pushed my limit as an individual so I think that there's I have um I think I have some potential as an individual if I can tap into it. All right, so now um, I have a couple of questions from some of your followers that yes. wanted to. <laughs> so they were kind of questions. Some of them I had to kind of turn into questions. Um, yeah. So starting off, someone wanted to know about nutrition. Can you just kind of tell me, like, like briefly, kind of how you eat now, like how you used to, eat, like kind of how it's changed and what you've learned about nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I eat. I eat very differently now which like, it's funny. I kind of really put my finger on it. I'm trying to think of like what I do, but um, I think what's different for me now is the way that I eat is about eating to be like the healthiest human I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to eat to feel training. So I guess eat for performance in a sense. Whereas in the past I would only ever eat to lose weight or diet, or I would just not give a fuck and eat whatever I wanted. So it was stressful in the sense that like I would always try and eat to change the way I looked. And then if I wasn't eating that way, I'd be eating, which fucked up the way I looked. So it was like (laughs) a really horrible cycle. Um, so I recently like over the past, probably four or five years through using flexible dieting through tracking macros, I've really learned how to, how to be able to have more balance with my eating. So enjoy eating foods that, you know, are not included on typical diets as well as be healthy, you know, like on the same day and the same week and have a lot more balance in terms of that. But I've also started to flip away from, I just want to eat. So I look a certain way to, I want to eat. So I feel a certain way. Um, and I always feel better by eating basically meat and vegetables. Like that's kind of, if I, yeah. if I had to live off one thing for the rest of my life, it would be like meat and vegetables. So, um, a very whole foods based diet stuff. That's not processed stuff. That's not out of packages. And I try to do pretty much all of my own cooking. Yeah. You sound like Jason Ackerman there with the flexible dieting thing. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, you know, I actually saw, um, there was someone who had done a post or some, something that I read and it was like, um, the journey of like, you know, getting out of a, a diet mindset. And it was like, step one was tracking macros because it teaches you how to be flexible. And I think that one, it's so important to learn that you can still lose weight or accomplish your goals and you don't have to be anal and you don't have to be perfect. Like that was a big breakthrough for me because part of the binge cycle is that you cut out so much food because you just, you can't eat that stuff and you have all these bad foods and good foods. And as soon as you eat a bad food, you're like, I'm a bad person. Yeah. So it's a really great, great tool to break through that mindset. Um, and then it also teaches you about, Hey, what's in food. So it's like, what's, what's protein look like? What does carbs look like? What does fat look like? Where are you getting those sources from? So if I'm traveling, for example, when I'm away this, this, these couple of weeks, I know that my carbohydrate t- intake tends to drop down a little bit, but my fat intake picks up a lot. Um, I'm pretty good with protein, protein across the board. I've been eating slightly less, but if I were to just not track whatsoever, I know that my protein would be far lower and my fat and my carbs would be far higher. 
um, just because of like what tends to be available. If you're eating out a lot, that just tends to happen. Um, but when I'm when I'm on top of it and when I'm cooking for myself, everything I can keep it pretty balanced in terms of like where my macros are. Um, and then the next step from like uh, the tracking was to start eating intuitively because you've got all the knowledge that you've learned from tracking, and then you can take away the the whole like my fitness pal or whatever tracking app you're using, mm-hmm. take that away and learn to just eat real food and, and not have restrictions and not have limits. And that was, that was the second part of my journey. It was like one, I learned to track. So I learned that it's okay to eat whatever you wanted to eat was within moderation. And then the second part was I took away all of that stuff and I ate based on how I felt rather than based on how many macros I had left, which was another like mind yeah. boggling, like, Oh my God, I can actually just listen to what my body wants and I can just eat what makes me feel good and try to eat to nourish my body. And it was like, this is awesome. I could mm. just, I could just not diet and I can actually eat really well. And it was, it was a skill that was a pretty important skill for me. And then early on there, you mentioned eating for performance. Can you kind of talk about eating for performance versus eating for like more looks and kind of how that's valuable in CrossFit? Yeah, I guess what happens when you eat for performance is based on, um, what you know about yourself as an athlete and what you know works for you. So I know some athletes that work really well eating high fat, Um, So I've had athletes who have been really high fat and really high carb. And then I know other athletes who work really well on super duper high carb, but pretty moderate fat, pretty moderate to low fats. So in terms of like balancing your macronutrients, those are probably the two things that you're looking at playing with. Um, And more and more myself, I've gone towards higher fats as well as moderate carbs. Um, But what I find is that I try to bias myself towards food quality over quantity because that is what I find impacts my performance the most so in terms of eating for weight loss and eating for performance I think both in both cases you don't really get a free pass in terms of quality like you still have to eat quality food majority of the time Um, but I do believe that in terms of just fat loss you could probably lean more towards quantity over quality at times Whereas in performance, as soon as I, and this is, might be personal, as soon as yeah. I'm eating too much crappy food, my performance just is not as good. Like I just don't feel as good. Therefore, my performance is not as good. So I think that in terms of if you're fueling yourself as an athlete, not only do you have to be eating enough, but you have to be eating the right kinds of foods. You just you just can't really get away with it. And I know that there's a lot of athletes out there right now who are like, but I live off cereal and bread and it's fine. But have you tried not living off that crap? Because there's so much more value in including foods that are really, really nutrient dense and give you all the vitamins and minerals that are necessary for you to go about like recovering from the stress and the training that you're doing in the gym every day that would probably serve you better than just eating carbs for carbs sake. So um, yeah, it's it's like you kind of need both for both cases, for weight loss and for performance, you need quality and quantity. But I think for performance, um, quality is probably higher up on the list for me, at least. Somebody wanted to know about managing fear and kind of hesitation going into a big lift, or I would even say like a workout. Like, you know, you get kind of scared. There's some yeah. some workouts out there and stuff. I guess, how do you manage? How do you kind of keep, like, flip your mindset so it's positive? Um, two things. One, like nervousness and fear and hesitation and excitement, like those feelings that like, I don't know if I can do this. I see those as really, really positive things. And it's the same thing when I compete. When I'm nervous, I, I'm 
really excited with that feeling. Like it's like an adrenaline dump and I fucking love it. Like mm-hmm. I love that fear. I love being so far out of my comfort zone that I don't know how it's going to go. So one part is to recognize in those moments that when you're being challenged beyond your current capacity or near your limit, it's a really good thing. Like that is phenomenal. That's exactly where you need to be. And if you fail, it doesn't matter because you're there. So like one part of it is to love that feeling and to know that when you feel that it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Being afraid and being scared and hesitating is not a bad thing. It's not an indicator of you as an athlete. It's actually a sign that you're exactly where you need to be. If you're constantly training in the realm of comfort and you're constantly feeling good when you lift and you're never worried and you're never scared of failing, then you're not working near your max limit and you're not going to get the results that you could be getting. So being in that place is really, really good. The second thing is with lifting specifically, I have a routine that I do every single time I lift, regardless of if it's an empty barbell, if I've got like baby change plates, or if I've got my one rep max on, I have the same setup routine every single time. So what that means is that when I get to a heavy lift or if there's like a one RM at a competition, I just go into automatic, like I go into autopilot and I just do that same routine. So it's like a, I'll usually stand a little back from the bar I'm like staring the bar down and I charge it, put my feet in position. I know exactly where my feet need to go relative to where the knurling is on the bar. And then I put my left hand on and get my hook grip where it needs to be. Put my right hand on, get my hook grip where it needs to be. I pull my hips down. I pull my chest up. I lock my shoulders in. I take a breath. I lift. And it's that every single time. Like you could watch my lifting for the past five years and you would see that. The only thing I will add in is a shrug. So like at the beginning of my lift, before I put my hands on, when I'm standing with my feet at the bar, I will lock my knees out, squeeze my butt, lean back and shrug my shoulders because I just know that I need to find that like finish position that the end of the third pull where I'm my tallest. And so that's a little reminder of like, feel that. Okay, sit. So that's every time I lift, that's what I do. And if people don't have a routine when they lift, like they need to get one (laughs) and that will help really cut through a lot of those moments of like, ah, I don't know how this is going to go. It's like, well, just try, go through your routine and just see what happens. That sounds kind of scary charging the bar. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> you have to be, I feel I just have to get really aggressive. You yeah. Know? Um, something I did a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago. It was probably, probably four years ago. Now I stopped failing lifting and training. So that was a big part for me. Like I, And I know that the question is, what do you do when you're hesitating and doubting? And I'm saying you should just do it and you just need to be confident and just know that that's a good thing to to be a good place to be. But uh, something that I did in training was I um, essentially would never fail more than three times. So I would, prior to this, have bad days. And I think everybody has bad days every now and again, but it would be like if I couldn't get a lift – I would keep the weight on the bar and I would just lift it like 20 times trying to get that lift. Like, is anyone mm-hmm. like, have you done that before? Yeah, you're like, for I'm sure. Gonna, I'm going to probably do this. I'm going yeah. to have it. So I would do that. Like maybe like every now and again, that would happen. Or like in the liftoff for one of the CrossFit liftoff comps, I had a, I really wanted to get this weight and I was just like, I'm going to get it. And it was just awful. I just was like failing and failing and failing and over and over again. And it was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I realized that I was practicing failing. That's all I was Mm -hmm. doing. I was just getting really good at knowing how to fail. So I put in a rule after, after one of those episodes 
and it was you only get three attempts no matter what the weight is no matter what the lift is you only ever get three attempts so from that point I had to go a lot lighter with my lifting because I didn't want to fail so I spent maybe probably probably just a month it wasn't that long a month of just being slightly lighter so I could guarantee that I wouldn't fail Mm -hmm. and then I started to push the weights and then if I did fail, I would usually get it on my second attempt. Like that was kind of my goal. But if I failed three times, then I would stop either full stop lifting. Like that was me done for the day. Or I would pull the weights down and get some successful lifts. Hmm. So it was like I didn't want to fail more than three times. I always wanted to finish on a successful lift. And that um, instilled a really strong sense of confidence in my lifting mm-hmm. because I knew when I was like, I knew that I just had this thing where I was automatic with a lot of my lifting. It was, there wasn't a, as much of a risk of failing because I didn't practice failing anymore. I knew how to get under a bar. I knew how to stand it up. I was always confident. Um, and then also it was just so much more positive for training. Like yeah. it was just, so, I was such a, I was such a happy person just being a little bit lighter and being successful with my lifting. And I would always feel really good lifting rather than like hitting your head against a brick wall. Brick wall. So um, that was an important step. Yeah, I think three, three. That's a good rule, I think, because I think after any anything after three, you're probably either you're pretty much done, mentally and physically. I mean, and maybe you get the lift. Maybe you get that one lift, right? Maybe you get it. But how many reps did you take to get there? Yeah. How many times did you practice the movement pattern that's been now programmed into your brain of? Oh, I catch this forward because I don't feel confident. Oh, I always throw the bar too far back in my bar part this shit because it's really heavy. Because once you're at a certain weight where you do fail, you start doing funky stuff. Like your mechanics are just generally not as good. Yeah. Like you just can't quite balance that beautiful mechanics with your, you know, heavy, heavy weights. Like it just it's just a very challenging thing to do. So if you're failing at a heavier weight, you're just practicing bad mechanics and it makes no sense. You're much better to be a little bit lighter practicing good mechanics so that when you do go heavy, you can just continue to reinforce good mechanics. I think that's a really big part that people forget when they're fail- failing lifting. You're failing because you're doing something shitty and you're lifting. Yeah. <laughs> so stop doing that. Stop <laughs> practicing that stuff. For sure. Well, Kate, where can people find you and where can people learn more about you and follow your journey? CrossFit Kate. CFK on Instagram. That's my main, that's my main gig. And that's, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into that at the moment. I just want to put more stuff out and, and like with coaching, with nutrition, with whatever it is. So that's kind of my main thing. Um, and then if you want to just like follow a fun page, it's CrossFit (laughs) with sign. (laughs) Please send me submissions as well. I need more ideas. (laughs) Kate, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for making time. Yeah. Enjoy Colorado. Yeah, I will. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed episode 111 of this show. We'll see you next time on the Up Before You podcast. Thank you, and have a great day. 